excited this morning. We're starting a new series today. It's going to be called uh, March to Calvary. Uh, Calvary. March to Calvary. And what we're doing over these next uh, six weeks leading up to Easter Sunday is we are going to be looking at steps that Jesus took. Because the truth of the matter is every single step, think about this for a second, every single step that Jesus took was an intentional step towards something. He never got lost. He never went this way when he was supposed to go that way. Everything he did was intentional. If he went the long way around a town to go somewhere, it's because he knew there was going to be an appointment at that other place that he needed to do first before going. If he wanted to go the straight shot through a dangerous town, he did that because there was something to be done in that place. Everything was intentional. Every step he took and every step that he took led him to the cross. Every single one. And so as we are in Lent right now, the season of Lent, leading up to Easter Sunday, we're going we're gonna to look at the steps that Jesus took that led him to the cross. And I'm really, really, really excited about this series and what we're going to be discussing over these next several weeks. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is we're going to be looking at the first steps that Jesus took after he was baptized. The, the steps that he took that ultimately were, were beginning and preparing him for the ministry that he was about to... Um, you know, go into, that he's about to walk into. And so Jesus is baptized, and he comes out of the water, and the Lord speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove lands on him, and then the next thing that happens after this huge moment where he's baptized in front of all these people and God speaks is he goes into the wilderness. And it's pretty interesting, you would think that, okay, and, and this is our mentality, and, and, and this is what I've been fighting a lot here at Jesus Chapel, if I'm being honest with you, is, is we want to build here, right? We want to grow, and so what we want to do is we want to have meetings, we want to plan and get as many people here as possible. And so you would think that Jesus would maybe have that same deal where it's like, I'm going to go into the biggest town, and I'm going to attract the biggest number of people I can, and we're going to, we're going to have a, you know, a, we're going to set up a coffee stand, and we're going to have food out, and we're just going to attract, attract, attract. So we think as many people as I begin this ministry. But instead, it's the complete opposite. Jesus begins his ministry by going away. By going and getting by himself. And fasting and praying. That is what we're really talking about this morning. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. The story of Jesus walking into the wilderness to begin his ministry. It says in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We're going to stop right there. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, I read this and I think, well, isn't Jesus always filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, he's Jesus, right? He's the party triune God. So... So why state the obvious here? I believe everywhere Jesus went, every miracle he did, every word that he said was fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And so why say this? Because I believe this story in this opening remark, the very first words about Jesus going into the wilderness, it's, 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 it's Luke telling us that before we go any further, you need to understand that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is going into this wilderness for, for several reasons. One, it's to relate to us, right? And, and really, and we'll get into it in a minute about what happened with the Israelites in the wilderness. It's to prepare, but it's also to be an example to us for when we go into the wilderness. And I believe, and if let's just stop for a second and consider how we know this story. Because Jesus was alone, right? The disciples did not go with him. So in order for Luke and Matthew and Mark to write about this story, Jesus had to tell them what happened. 
And so I believe Jesus made it very clear, made it very important that they understand that the Holy Spirit was with me. All right, I was filled. Listen, guys, listen. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that so that when you go into your own wilderness, when you find yourself by yourself and no one else is around and the devil is tempting you and you're hungry and you're tired, that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will make it through. But without him, you will not. And so before we go any further, when you take that step into the wilderness, you had better be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you are going to fail. And so, guys, listen to me. Listen to me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then on top of that, it says, as, as I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I was then led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Let's, let's not get confused here. This was not an accident. I do not want to give the devil any more credit than he's due and think that, that he led Jesus into the wilderness. No, no, no. And we do that. Y'all know that we do that a lot. We get in the wilderness and we're hungry and we're tired. And all we do is blame other people or the enemy for something that God did in our life. I'm in the wilderness. Ah! And we get frustrated. And we get angry and we get mad and we blame and we point fingers. And all the while God's going, it was me. I did it. I would love to get better at that, <laughs> where I know in the moment that this is God's doing, not when I look back at it, oh, right, that was God. Maybe if I had known that sooner, I wouldn't have been in the wilderness for so long. And the reason that God leads us into the wilderness, the reason that he takes us is because sadly, that is where we grow. I don't grow spiritually on vacation. I would love to say that I did, but I don't. Later this afternoon, when I fall asleep on the couch watching golf, I am not going to grow spiritually in that moment, okay? We grow spiritually when we are in the valley, when we are in the wilderness, and when the only thing that we have to cling on to is the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through. That is when we grow. And so just as Ben was saying earlier, he's a good, good father, but not good enough to keep us where we're at. So what does he do? He leads us into the wilderness, he says, I got some things to download into your heart and into your mind because I have things for you that you're not ready for yet. And I wish that I could teach you while you're on the couch, but it just doesn't happen. So in my love as being a good, good father, I am going to lead you into the wilderness, but it's okay because you're gonna have the power of the Holy Spirit to get through. And I want, I want to debunk something really quick, a little, an ideology, or maybe it's just a figure of speech that drives me crazy when believers say it. Okay, y'all ready for this? God doesn't put anything in front of me that I can't handle. That's a lie, all right? I'm not, I'm not joking, y'all. It's a lie. And people say it all the time. As in, you know, it's okay. The Lord doesn't put anything in front of you that you can't handle. Yes, he does. He does it all the time. He does it all, and he, not just to me and not just to you, but literally everybody in the Bible that he uses. David cannot kill Goliath, and David knew it. And he said, you stand against God's army, and today God, God will show his strength to you. When, jo when Joseph goes in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. No, I can't, but God can do it right? It's all over the place. Of course, God puts things that are too big in front of us, because if he didn't, then we would rely on our own strength. 
But what we need to understand is when those big things are in front of us, no, I can't do it, but the power of the Holy Spirit in me can get me through it, okay? So just do me a favor, y'all. As Beaches Chapel, can we just commit? Can we just agree this morning? Y'all watching on? Let's just not say that anymore because my eye's going to start twitching. I might, have to, I might cuss and go home. Then I got to repent. It's a whole thing, right? I don't know who started that, but it was wrong. And then it just sounded good, so we ran with it, right? And I know some of y'all, I know some of you are going to say it to me on purpose just to make me mad after church. Jim Monroe, I'm looking at you. Don't do it, Okay. Don't cause your brother to stumble in sin. <laughs> can't put anything in front of us that we can't handle. That's, that's pride. That's arrogance, because that's all of a sudden, then who gets to boast? Who gets to brag? All right, points driven home. This isn't even in my notes. Uh, verse two. <laughs> verse two. It says, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. All right, if, if you've heard this story before, if you grew up in church or, you know, the VBS style, there's, I don't know if you're like me, but you have this kind of preconceived notion that Jesus was tempted three times, because that's what the Bible highlights. It tells us of three temptations that Jesus has. So, so we can have the, the misunderstanding that Jesus was tempted only three times, and the, other, the rest of the time he was just fasting and praying, and that was it. But what we see here, it says that for 40 days he was tempted. So the moment that he stepped foot into that wilderness and began his time of prayer and fasting, the devil came in and started tempting him. 40 days. And every day he got weaker and weaker physically. And so I believe those temptations grew and grew. Here's what we can learn about this fact, this truth that the devil tempted him for 40 days. There's two things. One, the devil is relentless, especially when he knows that God is on the move. And here's the thing about the devil we need to understand. The devil may be dumb, but he's not stupid. He is dumb, and we'll get to that in a second, but he's not stupid. He knew who Jesus was. And he knew that Jesus was walking the face of the earth and had left heaven for a reason. In other words, Jesus wasn't just like, you know what? I'm kind of bored up here in eternity. Let's go see what life down there is like, right? There was more to it than that. And so Satan might not have known exactly why, but he knew that he wanted to ruin Jesus's experience here on earth. And if he could just get him to sin, then that was going to ruin everything. So he's relentless, especially when God is on the move. And I just want to pause here and say for a second, y'all, Jesse and I were talking about it this week. God is on the move here at Beaches Chapel. He is moving here in a very mighty way that is incredibly humbling and awesome and powerful, and I love it, and it's all to his glory. But we need to understand that as that happens, we need to be on guard. You need to be on guard over your marriage, over your kids, over your house, over this place. Pray for the leadership here. Pray for the elders. Pray for our whole, our whole church family, but pray in your house as well because the devil is relentless. And when God is on the move, he's even more so because he's not stupid. But yes, here's the other thing, y'all. He is dumb. And though he is relentless, he's the loser in all this. He is the loser in all this. And the reason that he is relentless is because he is scared. I want y'all to remember that. 
when the devil is coming after you to tempt you in whatever way that might be, it is because he wants to destroy you, he wants to steal from you, he wants to kill from you, but also he is scared of you. He is scared of the power of the Holy Spirit that is in each and every one of us. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we commit our lives to Jesus, he knows what's in us and it scares him like crazy. And so he wants to rob us of operating in that power. He's scared of you. Have you thought about that before? All the while, we're, we're afraid of the devil working. Why don't we flip that script and start to understand and operate in the reality that he is scared of us? and what we can do with the power of the Holy Spirit running wild through us. Amen? Yeah. Come on. Luke tells us at the end of verse 2 that says he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Well, duh, right? It's 40 days. Some of us are hungry right now. Y'all are already tuning me out. Going, what are we eating? For I've learned up here in the short time I've been up here, do not talk about food. I'll go home. How was, how was the sermon? What'd you think? Uh, I'm craving fried chicken now, thanks to you. That's all anyone gets out of it. So I try not to do that. If you're sitting in your seat right now and you're already tuning me out, thinking about what you're going to get for lunch, I have three words for you. Shame on you. Shame on you. So of course, for 40 days, Jesus is going to be hungry. But what Luke is telling us is Jesus isn't hungry. He's about to die. He's about to, he, he is on the verge of death from hunger. That is how weak he is. 40 days, no food out in the wilderness. That would, that's going to take a toll on you. So he's not just hungry. He is weak, right? And when our body is weak, that's a lot of times when we give into temptation. And again, the devil's not stupid. With that, he says in verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Okay, I'm not even going to focus on the stone to become bread part yet. I want to look at that first part. If you are the son of God. Three things about that statement. One is this. God knows exactly who he is. God is very confident in himself. Right? He doesn't have low self-esteem. God knows exactly who he is. Second thing, he knows exactly what he is capable of. And the third thing is he doesn't have to prove it to anyone. Not us, not anyone in this world, and certainly not the devil in the wilderness. So when the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread... That's, that's a ridiculous, uh, you know, dare, if you will. God knows exactly who he is. Jesus knows exactly who he is in that moment. He's not going, oh, I better prove myself. It's ridiculous. And he knows that he can turn that stone into bread. He knows what he's capable of. He knows he can hang on a cross with nails through his arms and his legs, beaten and bruised, and be raised in three days. He knows what he can do. He knows that when he looks into each one of our lives and we are in the wilderness and we are struggling, life is hard. He knows exactly what he can do in your life. We don't have to say, God, if you're God, do something. He doesn't have to prove himself to us. Give me a break, devil. He knows who he is and he knows who he is in our lives as well. You know, we live in a world 
That is so backwards. And it breaks my heart, and I will say too, it makes me very angry when I hear people blaspheme the Lord by saying, if God was this or that. As if God has to prove himself to us. He doesn't. In his grace and his love, he introduces himself to us. Because he knows who he is, he wants to share himself with us. But it's not about proving his existence to us. And we have to be very careful not to put God in that corner. All right? Because he doesn't have to. He's God. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Which is an interesting statement that Jesus makes. He's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 when the Israelites are in the wilderness. And I want to read those verses just to kind of look at what Jesus is really talking about here. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So many parallels here that are happening. One, God led the Israelites into the wilderness, just like the Holy Spirit led Jesus. Another, the Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the desert or in the wilderness for 40 days. All sorts of stuff happening here. They were, Jesus, they were humbled. Jesus is humbled. I think Jesus is is humble to, in, in hunger. Because if, you, if Jesus can't humble himself in hunger, then how can he humble himself to death, right? So there is a training going on here. There is, there is a preparation going on here. Where he is, he is, I mean, think about this for a second. Until Jesus is on earth, he doesn't know what being hungry is. I don't, Jesus isn't sitting in heaven next to God the Father going, man, I'm starving, right? <laughs> now I believe with all my heart in Jesus' name, that there is going to be, here I go again, donuts and fried chicken and all the goodies up in heaven, and none of it is going to make us gain any bit of weight. And as a matter of fact, vegetables will be off limits. That, you know, they're going to serve cauliflower mashed potatoes down in hell, and we're going to get the real stuff. Thank you, Jesus. But I don't believe Jesus was in heaven going, I'm hungry, right? Got to watch my weight. Doesn't happen in heaven. So when, he, when he's, this is a new sensation for him. And he's humbling himself to allow himself, think about this, to experience real hunger. That's awesome. So that he can humble himself to death on a cross. And the devil wants no part of that. The Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, sent into the wilderness on a path to the promised land, right? That's the whole progress. Freed from slavery in Egypt. Sent out into the wilderness with the destination of the promised land. We, through Jesus, are freed from the slavery of sin. Jesus heads out into the wilderness with the destination being the ultimate promised land, which is eternity with him in heaven. And where does it all begin, y'all? Where does it all begin? By himself, in the wilderness, fasting and praying. I believe that we are making church just way too complicated. I want to get back to doing church 
and, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but like, do it simply, right? We worship. We give a few announcements. And then we get in the word. But we understand that the church is built on the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, not by whatever, okay? Not by production or this or that. And it begins with fasting and praying. That, that trip into the wilderness, those first steps that Jesus took, were the beginning of everything else. Verse 5 says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. What? Have y'all really stopped and considered this? What the devil is saying here? That all the authority is his and his to give? And you know who he's talking to? Like, this is crazy. Y'all ever heard the term gaslighting? That's like, I think this is like the first instance of gaslighting. And if you don't know what that is, it's like someone who creates and just basically lies and has this different reality and tries to almost like convince you that's it, that it's real to the point where you're thinking, am I crazy? And it's, it's kind of a, becoming a real thing. It's, it's wild. And really like, that, like that's what the, the devil is trying to do to Jesus here. I have all this authority. All this world kingdom is yours. I can give it to you. No, you can't. No, you can't. He's just straight up lying to him right here. Straight up lying to him. And here, here's the other thing that I think is, uh, is hilarious, is the devil is trying to improve on Jesus. He's actually trying to make Jesus like better and more powerful. Y- y'all, listen, we can't improve on Jesus. He is amazing. He is Jesus. He is a finished product as a son of God. There's nothing that we can give to him that's gonna make him more Jesus-y, okay? He's Jesus. And that's what the devil's trying to do. Hey, I can give you this. I can give you that. First, no, you can't. And second, it's already mine. Third, stop trying to make me better than I already am. I'm the son of God. Hello? It's wild. This, this, This one right here is like, come on, bro. Come on. Jesus answers him in verse eight. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse nine, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I told you he was relentless. So he leaves him until another opportune time comes. But here's here's the thing about this, y'all. The devil in this, this one sounds a lot like the first temptation, if you are the son of God. Well, we've already covered that, right? But then he uses scripture, and I just want to say this really quickly. Context in scripture is everything. And if you hear or someone even tells you a single scripture, I highly encourage you, don't take that scripture just for face value in the moment. Go back, look it up, and read the scriptures around it. 
Because there are people in the church who are doing just what the enemy is doing here and taking a single verse, separating it and taking it out of context and trying to manipulate it for their own gain and their own doing. Heaven help those people. Context is everything, y'all. And I just, I just feel that needs to be said this morning. Go back. Look at that scripture. See what it says around it. Test it. And then see if there's truth in it. But do not take someone else's singular Bible verse, uh, you know, translation to heart. Because you can, you can get lost real quick. And then you get hurt. And then you get disappointed. And then ultimately you get mad at God. Right? Go search the word for yourself. Because we see here the word itself is being used as a weapon against Jesus. It can be used against us. We have to get in the word. We have to know the word. We have to study the word so that we can identify those moments and say, no, 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 sorry. That's not what that means. And if you don't know, go back and look it up. It's fun to do, actually. I challenge, it's, you know, it's not homework. It's fun. We should want to do it, right? I'm going to the band come back up. I want to just close this morning with a challenge. I want to read this first, though. This is one from a commentary I read this week on this story. It says, it seems to me that this story should shake us. Here is Jesus standing on the threshold of the most important public ministry in the history of the world. On his obedience and righteousness hangs the salvation of the world. None will escape damnation without this ministry of obedient suffering and death and resurrection. And God wills that at the very outset, the ministry be threatened with destruction, namely the temptation of Satan to abandon the path of lowliness and suffering and obedience. And of all the hundreds of things Jesus might have done to fight off this tremendous threat to salvation, he is led to fast, to fast. That is how Jesus combats this. Listen, y'all, I, I desperately want more for Beaches Chapel. I mean, I want it so bad. I know that there is more for this place. And we talk a lot about, you know, we want to see signs, miracles, and wonders here. And we do, we do, we do. But ultimately what I want for this church, for this body, this family of believers, is for us to fall more in love with Jesus every time we gather. And we are getting there, but, but I'm not satisfied. We had an amazing night of worship on Wednesday night. It was incredible. If you were here, you know. There was, there was about, I don't know how long it was, five or 10 minutes or something like that, where we just, we didn't sing, we just played. I mean, and the power of the Holy Spirit was just thick in this room and nobody wanted to move. And it was awesome. But I'd be lying if I stood up here in front of everyone and said that, man, we've, we've hit it. That was it. It's not, it is not. There is so much more. There is so much more more. There's empty seats in this place still. We got to fill them. There's a lot of challenges that many of us are walking through in our lives. Whatever it might be in our home, with our spouse, with our children, work, whatever it might, our health, all sorts of needs. In this season of Lent, I want to challenge us to follow Jesus's example. And starting today, let's take that step into the wilderness. And I wanna ask you to join me to fast and pray 
these, in these next six, seven weeks leading up to Easter Sunday. And whatever that might be for you, because if we're sitting here in this room this morning and we're saying amen and yes and agreeing with what we're reading here in Luke chapter four and we leave here and we don't do what Jesus tells us to do, then what are we really doing? What are we doing? I want more for this place. Y'all say you want more for this place. Well, let's look at and follow the example of Jesus and let's fast and pray and believe together. And not just for this place. I started, you know, as I was praying about this and going, God, you know, I, I don't want to just fast and pray because it's Lent. I really don't. Like we're, we're, we're doing this sermon, it's great, but like, but why? You know, why do you want us to fast and pray? And, and immediately I heard, why not? Why not? The list is too long. It's not just about this place. It's about, we need to fast for the church. We need to fast for our country. We need to fast for this world and the churches like in the Ukraine and all the other underground churches in the world. They need it. Listen, y'all, I got news for you, okay? Listen, the world is not going to fast and pray. They're not. It's up to us. We know what to do. We're in the word. We talk about it all the time. We know the God who can change things. The world doesn't. So if we wanna see the change, then we have to do it. And it's coming, it is coming. But I can't keep saying it every Sunday and y'all keep agreeing with it every Sunday and then we just go about our business. We gotta do something. And what do we do? We fast and we pray. I wanna read this other quote to you real quick and then we're gonna, we're gonna keep going for just a minute. Since Jesus is fasting as part of his testing the way hunger was for the people of Israel in the wilderness. But that doesn't mean fasting wasn't a means of battling Satan because fasting reveals where the heart is. When the heart proves to love God more than bread, Satan does not have the foothold he would if our heart was in love with the earthly things like bread. Jesus has that opening statement, man does not live on bread alone. When he talks about the Israelites, it's it said that God provided manna, which even the ancestors didn't know about. This was something brand new. And all the time we're asking God for bread. God, just give me bread, give me bread. And he's saying, I got something for you that you've never even heard of. And so what Jesus is saying to Satan in that moment, is not like, hey, I, I can live on something else. It's like, I wanna be so dependent on God and trusting in every word from God that I'm not even looking to the bread. That everything comes from the Lord and I'm desperate for his words not the bread. Y'all, I want us to seek God for his face, not for his hand. And then as we do that, then the byproduct of that is the signs and the miracles and wonders to follow, right? To follow. So will you join me? I want you to pray about it. And starting tomorrow, I have some suggestions. Normally I'll do this, but I have some suggestions I wanna just throw out there. And I believe these are three that I think are important that you can fast. The first one is if, if you like a glass of wine or a beer with dinner, you don't consider yourself someone that drinks a lot, but you drink a little bit. I wanna encourage you to lay down alcohol these next six or seven weeks. Put it down completely. And if you do have a problem with it, absolutely lay it down. I think a lot of times we justify alcohol in our lives because I don't have a problem with it. If you don't, easy, this is an easy one for you then. I want you to lay it down. Social media. If you're on social media, I want to encourage you to fast that. 
get off of it. It's, it's, it's a time eater and it causes a lot of anxiety and stress. Lay it down. And the third one is the news. Fox News, CNN, MSN, whatever, I don't care. All of it. Turn it off. Turn it all off. And if, and if you get your news from somewhere else, like a, like a blog or someone's Facebook post or whatever, stop. Just put it aside. And let's focus on Jesus. Those are the three that I felt were important to say this morning. There might be others. You might be doing all those things already and pray about what you need to lay down. But let's believe that God has more for us and operate in it by starting with fasting and with prayer in your homes. Pray with your spouse, pray with your kids, make, it, make them be a part of it. And let's believe for an explosion in about six or seven weeks, April 17th, Easter Sunday, salvations galore, miracles galore, power of the Holy Spirit galore. Are y'all with me? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for your example and for this challenge, Father. God, we've been asking and we've been expecting, but we haven't been, we haven't been doing enough, Lord. We haven't been doing enough. God, we desperately want more. And God, I thank you that even now you're already putting on people's hearts in the room and watching online exactly what needs to be laid down, what needs to be fasted. God, I pray that we would all commit this morning to take this very seriously and to do the things that you've called us to do in this time, to seek your face, O God of Jacob, to seek your face, O God. God, I pray that you would fill each and every one of us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Power of Holy Spirit, fill us right now and as we leave this place, God, that we would testify of your goodness. God, I pray, Jesus, right now, that as we leave this place and we commit to this, God, that, that you would turn each one of us into evangelists, Father, that we would be more bold than we've ever been before. God, that out of our mouths, as we just take that step to be bold, to speak your truth into people's lives, God, that we would be amazed by what you speak through us, Lord, that we wouldn't say that it's too hard, it's too big for me to talk to that person, it's too big or too hard for me to lay that down, or it's too big or too hard for me to whatever, God, but that we would understand that of course it's too big, but your power is gonna work through us. Your power is gonna work through us, God. We ask it of you, Jesus, as a church family, Lord, to do big things. And God, we're committing it to you by fasting and by praying. And God, I pray right now, Jesus, for those in this room that know of someone, whether it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, whomever it might be, that we, we just know, they need to know you. They need to know Jesus. God, that those people are gonna be sitting in this room on April 17th and their eternity is gonna be changed. But God, even before then, God, why wait, Jesus? Ah, forgive me of that, Lord, actually, right now. Lord, that in those moments, in the next conversation, that is where they would know you. That we wouldn't have to wait for a church service. But God, I just, I just, Lord, I just ask that you would move. We 
want you to move in this place, Lord. We can go deeper in our worship. We can go deeper in our love for one another and for this community. And we have empty chairs that need to be filled by people that don't know you yet. So God, we are going to fast and pray and believe for a mighty move of God. Whatever that looks like, God, it might be a new manna in this place. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, God. You are great and you are wonderful. You are perfect. You are righteous and you are holy. You are patient with us. You walk with us. You stretch us. You call us to prayer and fasting because there's something on the other side. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that. We worship you now, Heavenly Father, our great and wonderful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.